Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. Hi, gang. TGIF. Thanks so much for being here. Today. Thanks so much for being here all week. We've had a, an amazing week of great guests and good conversation on very delicate subject matter. And today will be no different. Poll results from yesterday, 21,300 were cast. Should the U.S. become directly involved if Hezbollah joins the war in Gaza? Should the U.S. become involved directly if Hezbollah, if Hezbollah strikes from the north at Israel? Should the U.S. now get directly involved in everything that's going on there? Some of you would say we're already directly involved in what's going on there. 70% said no. 70.13% said no. What I thought was significant about this, you may or may not agree, is that every time that I've asked a poll question about Ukraine, should the United States provide ATACMs? Should the United States provide F-16s? Should the United States provide this funding? Should Ukraine be given NATO membership? I mean, whatever the most hawkish response has been would carry the day with our voters. But yesterday, 70-30 on this issue, Hezbollah gets involved. We're really saying Iran gets involved. Should the U.S. respond in kind? 70%? No. And then I find interesting the fact that President Biden, and we'll talk about this as the show progresses, in his Oval Office address last night, you know, linked the two. Linked Ukraine and linked Israel. Why? Because he wants to force members of Congress who may feel differently on one or the other to have to cast a vote where they're tied together. You know, Republicans have been increasingly less supportive of an open checkbook for Ukraine. I think that'll become even more the case as we get closer to the 2024 election. And relative to Democrats, you've, you've got some slight fracturing. It's among the progressives who want more support for the, the Gazan refugees and want to take up the Palestinian cause. So Biden sort of forces their hand and says, no, 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 I need $100 billion in military aid, primarily for Ukraine and Israel. And that's the poll question today at Smirconish.com. Do you support President Biden's anticipated request for $100 billion in military aid, primarily for Ukraine and Israel? Just before coming on air today, this from CNN, the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, have published new information on the status of hostages and missing persons taken by Hamas following their brutal and brazen surprise attack on October 7th. The IDF says the majority of hostages are alive. 
Over 20 of the hostages are under the age of 18, while 10 to 20 of them are over the age of 60. It's unclear how many hostages overall are being held in Gaza. The IDF said that the number of missing is between 100 and 200 people, while a spokesperson for Hamas's military wing, Al-Qassam Brigade, said in a video statement the number was at least between 200 and 250. But that's the first report that I have seen about uh, you know, any assessment of how many might be. They say a majority of hostages are alive. Which brings me to this. There's a piece posted at Smirconish.com today from The Atlantic that is a must-read. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Michael Smirconis Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. There's a piece posted at Smirconish.com today from The Atlantic that is a must-read. Graham Wood has been here before. He's a staff writer for The Atlantic. He's the author of The Way of Strangers, Encounters with the Islamic State. The piece that he's penned for The Atlantic is under the headline, Hamas's Hostage-Taking Handbook says to kill the difficult ones and use hostages as human shields. Graham Wood joins me now. 
Graham, this is amazing reporting. You're actually in possession of a manual used by Hamas relative to the hostage taking. What what does it even look like? It's uh, only a few pages long. It's got a uh, big Quranic quotation on the front, and it says that it's part of the um, the Al Quds Battalion. Um, on the inside, it's a series of of instructions about what you do once you become in possession of Israeli hostages. Uh, and what's really interesting is that what they say to do is not what actually happened. Uh, it, it seems like what they were trying to do was to take hostages within Israel, possibly in several locations and have prolonged standoffs there rather than take huge numbers of them, 203 at the current count, into Gaza and to have the standoff in one consolidated place on their own territory. Do we have any idea as to why that's not the way it ended? Why did things go differently for both Hamas and those that they've held captive? I have a theory. I mean, they were surprised. It seems like everybody was surprised, the Israelis as much as anyone that Hamas encountered so little resistance. I mean, they broke through the the fence in multiple locations, and I think they thought they would encounter the full power of the IDF. Uh, So they would be able to, you know, maybe take a little bit of territory and then break through into some civilian areas and maybe have a standoff here and there. What in fact they found was there was almost no resistance. Uh, There were individual guards at Kibbutzim. There were some citizens with pistols. But really, they had the run of the place for like 12 to 24 hours. And so that was enough time where they didn't have to have standoffs here and there. They could just get motorcycles and golf carts, SUVs, and drive lots and lots of people into Gaza, which is where they remain to this day. You report the manual suggests that the group at first intended not to spirit all of them into Gaza, but instead to take them hostage where they were found inside Israel possibly for a protracted standoff to what end like what then was the end objective they don't even say they don't say how they thought it was going to end uh, except in the broadest terms there's a, a point where they say if any of our guys die uh, make sure you keep track of where the, where you bury them because eventually we're going to have to withdraw but eventually israel is going to withdraw into the sea or something and then we're going to go back and, and and disinter them and bring them to their final resting place where we want them to be So we don't know what they were expecting to do. I mean, it it suggests, though, that they were going to be negotiating over a period of days, maybe weeks. And that negotiation might end with an Israeli raid where Hamas said very clearly, that's the point where you start killing people. Uh, You kill them earlier, too, if they cause trouble. But at that point, definitely you start killing them. Or maybe there was a negotiated settlement where they would release some hostages in return for Palestinian prisoners who are in Israeli prisons. Um, but n- none of that is really is really concluded. They didn't say this is what our, our final goal is because they're maximalists. They want to destroy Israel and whatever they can get that, that leads them to that goal, they'll take. The hostage taking, according to the manual, I'm reading from Graham Wood's reporting, is meant to happen, quote, in the field in areas that have been, quote-unquote, cleansed and brought under control. After the hostages are brought together, it says they should be culled, quote, kill those expected to resist and those that pose a threat. The others should be bound and blindfolded and then reassured to keep them docile. Quote, use them as human shields, it says, and use electric shocks to force compliance. Kill the difficult ones, it adds. It specifically notes the need to separate women and children from men, confirmation that the snatching of children was planned from the start and not the product of some kind of excess fervor following battlefield 
success. What out about what else about that which I've just read did you want to tell us? Yeah, so a, a lot of what you're you're reading there just demonstrates that a lot of this was expected. I mean, the brutality of Hamas during this operation was, of course, shocking. Uh, to see it in print, to see the tactics that they were intending to use written down, um, premeditated, uh, really tells us something important about the group. I mean, you have an, an unexpected success in the battlefield when you think you're about to die, maybe you're going to do something crazy. Maybe you're going to do something that's brutal and that's beyond what you were expecting to do. That is not what happened at all. They did something that they were not expecting to do, but the brutality was planned from the start, including, as as you quote, the taking of children. I mean, they've, they've taken babies into Gaza. They've taken the senior citizens. Uh, all of that seems to have been contemplated in advance, as well as the brutal treatment. I, I mean, they do say, don't kill unless you have to. But that doesn't seem to be because they have scruples about it. It's because hostages are valuable when alive. But they do say, if any of the hostages uh, are going to make trouble, those are the ones you kill. Also, by the way, it says that if they are, uh, you need to keep them away from any any means of suicide. Uh, so that they were they were really thinking hard about how they keep their valuable hostages alive in the site that they've raided. And to your earlier point that it was intended that they would keep them hostage where they had uh, taken them into their custody. There's a whole discussion, you say, about supplies, the hoarding of food and drinks and flashlights and batteries and other equipment useful in holding out during a protracted siege. Quote, don't use your own supplies to feed the hostages, it cautions, except in an emergency. So the intent was that they were going to come in. They were going to hunker down. They were going to await some type of a uh, negotiation or standoff with the Israelis and kill those who were the problematic ones. Yeah, I mean, think of it as like a 1970s-style OPEC ministers meeting uh, hostage situation or a, even a dog day afternoon kind of situation where, you know, pizzas are being ordered for the hostages and that, that kind of thing. They were expecting this to take a long time. And they, again, were clearly not thinking that it was going to succeed uh, in the sense of getting what they want and the hostages hostages being turned over they were they were planning for an emergency where the israelis reacted as one would expect them to when their people are being tortured and so forth that is with a raid that that could end with the deaths of 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 everyone there none of that happened i mean they took the these hostages into gaza and there may still be raids but the way that this manual which was found in hamas's possession inside one of the raiding areas inside israel the way that this manual was envisioning it was not the way it eventually came to pass. Graham, something else comes to my mind as I'm, I'm listening to your explanation, talking about this Hamas hostage manual. Uh, in the end, none of those taken hostage followed this script, meaning that they held in place. Everybody went back to Gaza. Am I right? Uh, so there were probably individual standoffs. You know, the, the operation was so huge that... Uh, incidents, individual places where uh, if it happened, if just one of those things happened, we, we would know the exact details of how it happened. But places like Kibbutz Beri, for example, where 108 of the community members were killed, there may very well have been individual standoffs like that where this plan was was being put into operation. None of them, though, was a prolonged one. It wasn't like days passed. And I, I think Hamas pr- saw pretty clearly that they could just go straight back home and bring their captives with them. And that's what they did.
But I want to make a related point. Doesn't this also suggest that the Hamas attackers were in communication? I mean, there, there were a lot of them and they were they were in various areas. Doesn't this suggest they were in communication with one another while this was going down and that the word must have gone out, which said change in plans. We're going back to Gaza. I think that's very possible. You know, one section that I didn't write about in my article in this manual discusses the, the conversations that sh- they should be having happen that should be happening with leadership as the the operation is going on. I don't know if the leadership told them bring the people home, or if they just saw we've got open ground between here and the fence. Why not bring them home? We we have a chance of surviving. We have a chance of putting them into a dungeon or a tunnel somewhere where Israel won't be able to know where they are. In the end, that's what they did. And they, I think the hostages are, are much more valuable to them under those conditions, conditions more of their choosing in Gaza than they would have been where they were planned to be uh, be kept in the sites for the raids took place. So let me go back to where I began in your introduction. The IDF, just before I came on air today, this was reported by CNN. The IDF says the majority of hostages are alive. So there must be a lot known to the Israelis that has not yet been reported. Uh, one wonders, are there, you know, 150 or 200 different conversations taking place? Is there one negotiation? Do you know anything about that? I've been talking to the families of hostages uh, who are understandably um, traumatized beyond belief and terrified for the fates of their of their family members. And there's a big range of, of uh situations that those hostages are in some of the people are they're they've just disappeared we don't know if they're hostages there are others whose images have shown up on social media so their families know about those and there are others that uh the israeli government have conveyed to the families and said yes we've discovered that this person is in hamas custody for israel this is of course the most sensitive uh subject right now i mean it, israel will contort itself will torture itself over the fate of a single hostage in previous years. Uh, a single hostage will be traded for a thousand Palestinian prisoners. So to have 203, possibly more hostages, is uh, it's a situation that Israel really could not have contemplated in, in the worst possible planned scenarios. So yes, this is all being considered at, at very high levels. And, and I'm sure the delay of the invasion of Gaza probably has something to do with trying to get the facts about what's going on with those people. I was going to say, it's been 13 days now, right? And, and you know, the, the reports of the green light and the 300,000 plus reservists and troops who are poised and ready to go. And you every day I wake up thinking, surely now they've they've moved in, but they haven't. I would guess it's because of this, right? It, it's because the hostages, a majority of them are alive. They really do want to get them back. I, I had thought that relative priorities that the hostages would be second, but maybe they're first. You know, there's a number of things that have been mentioned. Uh, the IDF said uh, openly, it's not a secret, that they wanted to have uh, clear skies. They want to be able to see what they're going into. And it was rainy for a few days this week, and that may have delayed things a bit. There have also been these high-level visits, including from Secretary of State Blinken, from President Biden, and others. And I think it has been important for Israel to get its allies uh, on the same page as well. There's also concern about Hezbollah, you know, the attacks that have been happening back and forth, actually, between Hezbollah and the northern border of Israel with Lebanon have been uh, 
increasing. And I think Israel is rightly concerned that if they go into Gaza, then the next thing that happens is the opening of a northern front. And they'd rather be on the uh, as as prepared for that as possible. So there's, there's a number of things that have 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 intervened in a the quick invasion that I think where it was expected. I will say this: it's impossible to find Israelis, certainly Israelis in in any position of power, who disagree with the fact that they have to go into Gaza. They have to have boots on the ground in Gaza. Whatever the situation is is going to come next, it's not going to be Hamas being in charge in Gaza, and so. An invasion, I think, is uh, demanded by the Israeli people, and it's a matter of consensus among the Israeli government elite. One other aspect, if I might, and, and thank you for being so gracious with your time. I referenced that you're the author of The Way of Strangers, Encounters with the Islamic State. I'm mindful of these protests in a number of countries in opposition to Israel, those who were very quick to assume that it was the IDF that was responsible for the bombing of the hospital in Gaza, tens of thousands who have come out, and and this growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza. And I guess my question for Graham Wood is th- the risk to Israel of, of not getting in soon, because it seems like the, 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 pu- the court of public opinion in Arab states is quickly coalescing against Israel, notwithstanding all the death and atrocity committed by Hamas 13 days ago. Will you just speak to the global picture as you see it? Yeah, Michael, you're right. There is a cost to waiting. Um, the, there's a PR cost. There's a cost to uh, to angering uh, Israel's few Arab allies. Uh, those Arab allies are very concerned about what happens in Gaza, in part because their own populations are extremely sympathetic to the Palestinian cause, and in some cases to Hamas. And so they could face internal rebellions in, say, Egypt, uh, Jordan, possibly Saudi Arabia, which is not an official ally, but does have a kind of partnership with Israel. So this is a, this is a real concern. But within Israel, which is where I am right now, I think it, we're still in a phase where Israelis are not that concerned about what the rest of the world thinks. Um, maybe they should be, but they're not that concerned. They simply agree that that what happened uh, on October 7th was the kind of thing they heard about uh, happening to their great-grandparents. It was the kind of thing they went to Israel to get away from. And the, the first duty that their Israeli state had was to, was to make sure that that wouldn't happen. Since it happened, the first duty of the Israeli state is to do whatever it takes, despite anyone else's opinion, to make sure it doesn't happen again and to obliterate, annihilate the, the other side that, that did it. So that, that continues to be priority number one and the sole objective of most uh, Israelis in power. Graham, that was some great reporting. And thank you for your willingness to come on and, and flesh it out. I'm much, much obliged. Congratulations on on this exclusive. Thank you very much for talking with me. That's Graham Wood from The Atlantic. He's the author of The Way of Strangers, Encounters with the Islamic State. The piece that he wrote about Hamas's hostage-taking handbook is in Smirconish.com's newsletter today. Make sure you check that out. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. So the IDF says a majority of the hostages are alive. And we just heard reporting from Graham Wood, the author of The Way of the Strangers, Encounters with the Islamic State, that this is not what they intended. Based on a manual that he has in his possession that he just shared with us, the Atlantic obtained a copy of this manual from an IDF official. And the plan, according to the manual, was they were going to hold in place. So why didn't that happen? His theory is because they met so little resistance Perhaps they didn't think they'd be able to take people hostage and then bring them back to Gaza, but they did. Hey, by the way, among the, uh, you know, the dopey questions that I ask, I've got this, this list of, of very basic issues that have just not been explained or are not clear to me. Was the invasion, the ground offensive, I guess I should say, the ground offensive that we're anticipating beginning at any moment in Gaza ever conditioned upon Hamas not releasing the hostages. I said that in an awkward way. In other words, there was never a, if you don't release the hostages, we're coming in. They're going in anyway, right? Race, you are in Raleigh, North Carolina. Greetings. What did you most want to say? Yeah, hey, I think that you and Graham are on to something here. I think now that Hamas has these hostages, 
they're not going to display them on television for the international world to see just because that'll re- I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, I want to race, race. I want to hear what you have to say, but I got to put you on hold because you you hit a bad spot. Norman, greetings in Canada. What's going on in Ontario? Hey, good morning, guys. Long time, first time. Um, All right. I was just listening to that 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 uh, your last uh, guest there about the manual, and it just sort of sent shivers down my spine, to be honest. Um, about the fate of the hostages in Gaza. And the way I read that manual, um, I don't see any hope for them getting out alive. Okay, so what should be the priority? You want them out alive. You want to do what you can do to rescue them. Uh, but, you know, what? do you hold back the ground assault in Gaza because you're hoping to free those hostages? Maybe that is what's taken place. I was struck by my guest uh, last week, when I had Richard Clark, the former national security advisor, advisor to three American presidents, was very pessimistic, I guess, as you are, about the, you know, the likelihood that we could get them back safe. Well, that's, I mean, I hope they're negotiating. I hope there's a path to get them out. But what I believe is when they go in, again, according to that manual, when all hope is lost, if you're, if you're the Hamas, you kill the hostages. And that's and that's what they're they're told to do. It's it's their manual. That sounds horrible, but right. The manual makes clear that they're they're of. prepared. Yeah. The, the I mean, that's, you're right, Norman. Yeah, that's what I think. It's a sad thing that it's to, a sad to thing come to that realization. Yeah. But that's but what I mean, I they act, they actually wrote it out. Thank you, Norman. They actually wrote it out. Like this is the plan, and and the ones who are a problem, just kill them, make them more docile. I think races. Uh, cell mine have cleared hi race continue from raleigh north carolina yeah no i was going to say that you and graham are on to something i think that the more time that elapses from october 7th to when the ground invasion occurs the more the israelis are going to lose public or international sentiment that's probably one of the reasons why they haven't shown the uh, hostages because they know putting the hostages on display is going to reinvigorate or arouse, you know, more anti-Hamas sentiment. So I think they're negotiating with Hamas on the uh, hostages, but the Hamas is not going to show them other than that girl they showed a couple of days ago because they know that's going to work uh, against them. Against them, right? All of a sudden, it's a, it's a reminder. Hey, wait a minute! You guys started this. I think you're I think you're absolutely right. Thank you for that, uh, race. By the way. To his point, the lead story at the Daily Mail, just by one illustration, the lead story at this moment, USA go to hell. Scenes of rage spread around the world again as pro-Palestine protesters take to the streets condemning Biden and Israel ahead of Gaza ground invasion. Angry anti-Israel protests have erupted across the world today after Hamas demanded thousands of demonstrators take to the street and target Israeli and U.S. embassies ahead of an imminent ground invasion. The demonstrations were staged after Friday prayers in Muslim communities around the world, including Bangladesh, South Korea, Egypt, and Iraq, with thousands of protesters condemning Israel's attacks on Gaza and showing support for the two million Palestinians who were trapped in war-torn enclave, in a war-torn enclave. And then it goes on with the details of each of them. I I hope that on CNN tomorrow, I'm going to be able to have a conversation with someone who has served in a high level capacity at the State Department on messaging. Like, how do you deal with this? 
it's we're you know we're we're not far removed 13 days that's all just 13 days removed from Hamas coming across the border and slaughtering uh hundreds maybe a thousand individuals still not clear on the total number and yet people are comfortable taking to the streets overlooking that and saying you know the Americans and the Israelis is it possible to combat that Dan, you're in Baltimore, I think, with an idea as to why the uh, IDF has delayed thus far going in. Yeah, not not an idea, but there's a lot of discussion of the 300,000 IDF in the reserves. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big number. Just because they show up with their uniform and a helmet doesn't mean they're ready to go into combat. I mean, that's almost the size of our active duty army. So, you know, if you think about preparing that number to invade and you want to invade on your conditions, not the enemies. So they might just be making sure that their troops are ready with the right equipment. That takes some time. Yeah, I, I only I only know that the Israeli army said that they've they've been greenlit by the political forces. Um, in fact, I'll share more in in the second hour of the program with what I know about the planned grant grant. Pardon me, ground offensive because. Uh, an IDF uh, spokesperson laid out some of what's going on. I still have my questions, but I will, but I will ask. Uh, John, you're in Michigan in Hancock. Go ahead, take your turn. Hey, thanks, Mike. I just heard on your show a moment ago about the anti-Israel protests, and one of those, as you said, was in South Korea. And there have been reports that Hamas has used weapons from North Korea. And I just wanted to mention that, just to touch on the fact that. While we view this as a regional conflict, there's actually a huge international implications oh, here. No doubt. One would think that, um, you know, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was simply going to say, imagine if we were if imagine if we were so uh, close in time, 13 days removed from the events of September 11. And if there were protests around the globe against the United States as the victim of that unprovoked attack. I mean, that's that's really what we're looking at. These folks are comfortable in coming out and protesting against Israel, notwithstanding the victimization of Israel just 13 days ago. So now if you add in the factor of of a ground offensive, I can't imagine what that's going to look like, but it's not going to be pretty. There's a a post at Smirconish.com today on the State Department cautioning all Americans who are outside of this country. Oh, yeah. No, I, I certainly wouldn't travel to a lot of areas of this world at this point as an American. Yeah. Um, I don't want to create panic, but I'll, you can go and read it. It's posted on my it's posted on my website. Alan, you're in Brooklyn, New York. Hello to you. What did you want to say? I remember uh, several years ago, there was uh, three teenage boys that got taken hostage. And I remember at the time being very plugged in, having uh, teenage kids myself at the time. Uh, and I, I really believed that they would be uh, saved. And, and they weren't. Make a long story short, they weren't. So I don't hold out so much hope for these hostages. I really don't. I, I, I pray that I'm wrong. And, 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 and I just don't get how 70% of your audience doesn't uh, support uh, uh, protecting, uh, going against Iran. It, it, just, it just seems like a no-brainer, but uh, be that as it may. 
Yeah, I don't know how to ex- I don't know how to explain that. If that que- if if I had asked if I had asked an analogous question about Ukraine, unless things are changed, I can tell you, the answer would have been yes. Do whatever it takes for Ukraine. What I was essentially saying is, if Iran attacks Israel, should the U.S. get directly involved? And seventy percent said no. By the way, not scientific, but revealing nonetheless. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. Uh, this is the report that I made reference to a moment ago. It comes from J.D. Capaluto at Semaphore. The U.S. Department of State issued a rare worldwide caution. This is an alert that was issued yesterday urging any American who is overseas, any American who is overseas, to exercise increased caution due to increased tensions in various locations around the world. The U.S. said there's also an increased potential for terrorist attacks, demonstrations, or violent actions against U.S. citizens. The U.S. Embassy in Beirut urged American citizens on Thursday to make plans to leave the country as soon as possible, while commercial options are still available as fighting intensifies near Israel's northern border with Lebanon. Quote, we recommend that U.S. citizens who choose not to depart prepare contingency plans for emergency situations. The U.K. and Germany issued similar warnings to their citizens. As part of the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas around the Gaza Strip, the Iran-backed Lebanon-based militia group Hezbollah has recently fired rockets at some northern Israeli towns. According to reports, there are also concerns that tensions with Hezbollah could escalate, expanding the conflict into a regional war. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.